Well, get your Bibles out. Let's use them. We're going to dig right back into 1 Peter as we've been doing for the past few months. And I trust it'll be good. I love, I love the Word of God. I also love these Wednesday nights when we get to read it through together. Um, it's, it's, it's great to have that Word in season. It's wonderful to be able to say this is, a, uh, this is a section of Scripture that right now we need to hear. And on Sundays, a lot of times that's the way it goes. But it's, I also enjoy on Wednesday nights when we're able to come together and go verse by verse through the Word of God. There's no ducking any uncomfortable issues, is there? <laughs> if we make up our minds right at the beginning that we're going to read the whole thing through, there's no way to skip. And so we're, we, we get to look at the whole word, and not that you'd ever want to skip it. When you look at it, it's beautiful. It's, it's good for edification. It's good for discipline. It's good for training in righteousness. It's good to make you grow. And so as we dig into it, I hope those of you that have been with us for the past uh, several weeks have been able to see sort of a a larger, broader view of what this letter is about. And for those of you that are just jumping in tonight, you'll be fine. You're going to catch up. Uh, we're going to just dig into what God has said. So Lord, I ask that you open up our hearts and our ears and our eyes, that we truly be open to you and your voice tonight. May you speak through me. May you speak even to the, to, to the individuals that are hearing. Um, Lord, speak through your word. May your word be exactly what you sent it to do. A two-edged sword that that divides between soul and spirit, joint and marrow, that judges the thoughts and the intentions of our hearts. Also a seed that, that grows and takes up space and bears fruit in our lives. We ask that it would be all these things tonight, that we wouldn't just be hearers, but we'd truly be doers as well. In Jesus' name, amen. First Peter chapter 5. We're going to talk a little bit about leadership. And you might say today, well, I'm not a leader. Everybody's a leader in some sense, but I understand that maybe you don't have a bunch of people answering to you. Not everybody's a pastor, not everybody's even um, a leader of a specific area, but we all in some way, at some point in your Christian walk, are going to have to experience what it's like not only to be a leader, but to be under a leader. Every leader that's ever been a leader, that's ever done anything worth anything, has learned how to be under someone else as well. We have, first and foremost, submit our lives to Jesus Christ, the head of the church. There's no other head of the church. There's no other mediator between God and man except for Jesus Christ. There's not a person who can stand on a stage or in a confessional or wherever that stands between you and God. That person can't exist. You have to have a direct relationship with Jesus Christ. He is the mediator. And yet God puts leadership in our life. God puts us in positions where there's people that we're accountable to, that we answer to. Hebrews says, I, I want you to uh, pay attention to those that rule over you and uh, watch, you know, be, be able to live in such a way that when they give an account for the, your souls, they'll be able to do it with joy. That's a tough thing to hear, that somebody else is going to have to give an account for my soul. I'm going to have to give an account for my soul, but somebody else is also going to have to be called into the principal's office and talk about it too. And that's the person that, that, that taught you. That's the person, the people that, that led you, and they're going to have to answer as well because, like it or not, um, we're just shepherds serving under the lead shepherd, and we have to answer for how we treated his sheep. That's, a, that's, a, that's an important thing. It's a sacred thing. It's a deep thing. And it's, there's a reason that James says, don't let too many of you desire to be teachers, for such will follow, fall under a stricter judgment. If you get up here and you tell people, you need to listen to what I have to say, that's okay. 
But you have to make sure what you're saying, A, is from God, and B, you're living up to what you're preaching. Because you will be held to a stricter account. That said, he goes on and he talks about elders. Now, in our modern church system, you go to different denominations and different people will have a different idea of what an elder is. Can I just tell you something? If you think you've locked down church government, you've figured it out, you've got it sorted, then you need to teach the rest of us. Because uh, while there are some, some solid stuff in Scripture, there's also certain words that in this letter mean this and in this letter it means this. Take the word elder. Elder can mean a lot of things. And, and in some of these letters, you begin to understand that elder is somebody that's basically a pastor that's overseeing a church. But there are other times where it just, you know, it's talking about the, the elders, the, 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 those that have been in the faith longer and, and are teaching the younger ones. There's, there's times where you read the, uh, you see the Greek word diakonos, which, which means servant. And that's where we get the word deacon from. But not every time diakonos is used is it talking about somebody that handles money or that, that carries out the feeding of the poor. If you read through the scriptures, it just means servant. It can mean a lot of things. There's words like overseer. There's, there's words that pop up in the scripture that, like I said, in one letter mean one thing and another mean another. So people that have got locked down, this is exactly how church should look like. They might just be wiser than the rest of us because the truth is, is that church has changed through 2,000 years and we're doing our best to come back to the scriptural basis for church government. But to be honest, there are some gray areas and there are some areas where how the church was run in Jerusalem, how the church was run in Rome was different than how it was run in, say, Galatia. And so we all have to be led by the Holy Spirit. There has to be accountability. There has to be transparency. But ultimately, the way we judge it is are the gifts working in the church as God's required of them, as he's told us they're going to work? And is everything in submission to the head of the church, which is Jesus Christ? In this chapter, he begins to talk to us about elders. Now, like I said, elders can mean people that have been saved longer and are teaching the younger. In this context, it's talking about some people who have uh, the responsibility and the authority to oversee some people. And he, he refers to them just like a shepherd uh, which if you haven't studied it out, the word pastor that we use in English just comes from a Latin word for shepherd. So when we say pastor, we're just saying shepherd. Now, pastor isn't the, the be-all, end-all of the church. That's just one of the gifts in the body of Christ. But in this chapter, we begin to hear about elders, and so sometimes we think that might be a group of people, that might be one person. Uh, certainly the church in this day and age was meeting all over the city, and so they weren't big, large gatherings. There were a lot of smaller gatherings. And you had to have people that were giving an account for different people's soul. That You had to have people that were taking care of the people that God put under their leadership. I've talked a little bit too much about all this. So hopefully you're still with me as we begin to read. In 1 Peter chapter 5, he says, Therefore, I exhort the elders among you as your fellow elder and your witness of the sufferings of Christ and a partaker also of the glory that is to be revealed, Shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but voluntarily, according to the will of God, and not for sordid gain, but with eagerness, nor yet as lording it over those allotted to your charge, but proving to be examples to the flock. This is really important. This is huge. That's not, you might say, well, that's not me. I'm, I'm not who he's describing here. Well, you might be at some point in your life, and whether or not that's you or not, you need to know what godly leadership looks like. 
Because whether or not you say I'm in that position or whether or not you say somebody's in that position in my life, we need to know what it looks like. There's a lot of abuse out there. There's a lot of, um, you know, misshapen and, and wrongly laid out leadership. And so we need to see God's example of what it looks like. One of the first things he says it should be, this is what someone who's leading a, a congregation, this is somebody that's leading a group of people. He says, I want you to do it not with compulsion. Now, I believe that's applying to the guy that's leading. He should be doing it because he wants to do it. She should be doing it because she wants to do it. But also, that's how you treat the people around you. If you're walking around trying to lead people and you're forcing them to do what you want them to do, how many of you know that's not going to last very long? It's not going to yield very good fruit. You know, we just took up an offering. We didn't have the ushers come around your nose and shake the offering plate underneath your face. Anybody would have liked that? I don't know if you ever saw the old movie Crossing the Switchblade where the gangs go by. It's somebody, uh, David Wilkerson asked the gangs to take up the offering. And so the gangs come and, and somebody puts a little money in and they shake it and give them a, a fierce look and shake it a little bit more until he puts more in. Well, that's not how it looks in the church, is it? And it shouldn't because the scripture says, don't ever give under compulsion. Under compulsion means you were forced to do it. Not just forced. Sometimes we think forced means somebody held a gun to our head. But sometimes compulsion is guilt. Sometimes compulsion is somebody making you feel like you're not a Christian if you don't. He says, that's not how you lead people. You don't lead people that way. Here's how you do it. He says, and, and, and not only do you lead un, uh, voluntarily, not only do you lead not being forced to, but that's how you should lead the people around you. Look what he says. He says, but voluntarily according to the will of God and not for sordid gain, but with eagerness. Sordid gain means it's, you didn't get it the right way. The King James says filthy lucre. And so, you know, if you ever talk to somebody that was, you know, like my parents, I remember we'd, we'd, every now and then you'd hear the phrase filthy lucre. And as a kid, I had no idea what that was about. And uh, my, mother's, my mother's mother's maiden name was Lucas. And so we, you know, we had the Lucas side of our family and they always called them the filthy Lucas sometimes. My dad would make jokes and I didn't get the connection. I laughed pretending I knew what they were laughing about, but I didn't. <laughs> but what this means is it's not, it's, not that you're, it's not that you're gaining, it's how you're gaining. So what he's talking about is somebody that's taking advantage of the people that God has entrusted to him or her. This person is, is taking advantage of people and they're gaining in a way that's not godly at all. So their gain is sordid, their gain is filthy, their gain is unjust. Look what it says, not, not for sordid gain, but with eagerness. In other words, if anybody is in the ministry to get something from someone, they're in the wrong business. You're not in the ministry, and, and I can say everybody in the room, you should at some point in your life, you'll be in some type of ministry. You'll be doing things, you'll be serving the Lord, hopefully you are right now. You should never do it for the physical reward of it. You do it with eagerness because you're serving the Lord. Is there a reward? Oh, absolutely, there's rewards. There's multiple rewards in heaven, and there's even rewards right here, but that's not your reason for doing anything. Now, you can make the case that we should keep in mind the reward of heaven. I believe you should as well. But if you start looking to people as your source instead of God as your source, you'll treat people differently. Nothing makes me wince more. I've, I've talked to pastors who, when a family left their church, which is a hard thing for any pastor, 
because you, you open your heart to people and you let them in your heart and when they leave, even if it's nothing personal, it's still hard because it's like families being torn away. But I've heard, I've heard people say, well, yeah, it was hard to see them leave because they were, they were good tithers. And I just thought, well, God, that made me real uncomfortable because people aren't dollar signs. And God's the one that'll meet your needs, right? It does, so if, if God puts a bunch of people in your church that make $2 a week, God will provide. And treat those people who make $2 a week the same way you treat a millionaire in your church. Because they are just as valuable to Jesus. And in fact, as James says, you make a mistake dishonoring those guys because they could very well be rich in faith. And that's far more valuable than anything else. So he says, don't do this for, for sordid gain. Do it with eagerness. In other words, just do it because you love to serve Jesus. If you love to serve Jesus, you'll love to serve people. He says, not yet as, nor yet as lording it over those allotted to your charge, but proving to be examples of the flock. This is important. He says, if you're going to lead somebody, don't lord it over them. You don't sit on your big fat throne and just order people around and say, boy, it's finally nice for somebody to be listening to what I have to say. I paid my dues and I'm done. He says, if you want to lead, you need to lead by example. You're never too old to lead by example. Now, tell you what, if your pastor was 85 years old, I trust you wouldn't make him lift the baptismal tank, all right? You let some of the young guys do it. Nevertheless, that 85-year-old man, that that 85-year-old guy should still have a heart for doing the ministry, whatever he can do. And I I, I believe that that's the kind of guy you want leading you, the one that still still runs into people in the street and leads them to Jesus. You don't just want somebody that's telling everybody what to do. You want someone that's leading by example. Jesus talked about this. You'll remember when the uh, when his disciples said, you know, they, they were really fighting over who was going to be the greatest in the kingdom, who was going to have the most authority, who's get, who got to sit where when it came to seats and thrones. And Jesus says, he goes, guys, you don't know what your spirit you're of. This isn't the right thing. He says, the Gentiles, they get, they get in, in positions of leadership, they get power, and they lord it over you. He says, it's not so with you. Whoever wants to be great in my kingdom must learn to be a servant of all. He says, the Gentiles, when they get some power, they use their power. They're happy. Finally, I got some power. People will obey me. He said, but in the kingdom of God, the greatest leaders will be the greatest servants. And so Jesus demonstrates this. You guys remember that wonderful moment when when the disciples come in the upper room and, and Jesus takes their feet and he washes it with his own hands. You know, normally you'd have somebody in your house, the lowest slave in your house, the lowest servant in your house would be the one that would do that. And you always, you had to have that done because, come on guys, they're walking around in sandals in the Middle East, <laughs> Middle Eastern weather and, and there's dust and dirt. You can imagine how, how gross your feet might have been at the end of the day. This isn't a breakfast they're having. This is, <laughs> this is a meal at the end of the day. And so you'd have a servant, the lowest of your servants would come and wash your feet. Jesus comes and washes their feet. They're offended by this because you, Jesus, don't touch my feet. 
You should never have to do that, Jesus. You're, you're the master. You shouldn't have to be washing my dirty feet. And he, I mean, Peter's the first guy that says that. And come on, guys, if we were really to take a guess at whose feet stunk the worst, we'd all guess Peter, wouldn't we? That's really who we'd be guessing. He seems like the guy who had the stinkiest feet. And Jesus is washing his feet. He says, Lord, stop it. He says, if you don't let me do this, you won't be clean. And Peter says, well, then wash my whole body. And Jesus kind of says, well, you're missing the point. He says, unless you can get this, you can't have a part of me. You're going to have to learn that we serve one another. You're going to have to learn because Jesus was setting them up. He was setting 11 of those guys up to be the leaders in the, in the church. And there would be other leaders, but they were the first. And he was setting them up to show them how it was going to be done. He says, if you want to lead my people, you've got to learn how to serve my people. The word ministry Think about what you think when you think ministry. Lots of people picture ministry with lots of cameras and crowds. Ministry is on a stage. Ministry is big. But the word ministry means to serve. It's, and we've talked about this before, but it, it is one of the closest analogies that, I can, that we can give in modern day times of ministry outside of a Christian um, example of it would be a waiter or a waitress at a restaurant. They're bringing something to you. They're serving food to you. They didn't make it, but they're bringing it to you. They're ministering to your needs. That's what they're doing. And so ministry is serving. That's what it looks like. If you ever think that ministry is about exalting you, is about lifting you up, is about giving you a position, then you will be sorely disappointed in ministry. (laughs) Either that or you're going to be the kind of person that's going to abuse the people under you. Now, I know nobody here fits that category, but you have to understand that first and foremost, anything I do for the Lord is going to serve. It's going to serve him. It's going to serve his people. We read earlier, if you've been with us as we've been reading through 1 Peter, in the last chapter, he said this, whatever gift God's given you, employ it in serving one another. Gifts are not to lift you up. See, we think of gifts as God's gift to me. God gave me a gift of singing. God gave me a gift of encouragement. God gave me all these gifts. We say, this is a gift for me. That is a gift given to you, but it's not for you. It's for the body of Christ. The gift is his gift to the body of Christ, and he's using you. So whatever he's given you, it's to serve. And if it doesn't fit that pattern, it doesn't fit the body of Christ. Now, he says this. He says, don't lord it over those allotted to your charge, but prove to be examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. When the chief shepherd shows up and you've led with a servant's heart, you've you've done it the way he wanted it done, then he'll give you a crown of glory. But the other side of the picture that we don't see is somebody that's abused their leadership. I don't think they get the same reward. I don't know if they get a reward at all. In fact, Jesus talks about these kind of people and he doesn't talk about them well. I want to bring you back to 1 Corinthians, sorry, 2 Corinthians chapter 11. And, and a couple of years ago, we went through 2 Corinthians and at the end of all our time through 2 Corinthians, we talked about right leadership and wrong leadership and how it looks based on what the scripture says. So I want to remind you of what he says here in 2 Corinthians 11. Because remember what's going on here. In Corinth, there's a bunch of ministers coming along. 
with big words and, and big programs. And they come along and they say, you got to follow us. Forget that Paul guy. He's a wimp. He's, he's, look, he writes these bold letters. And when you read his letters, he seems tough. But when he comes in person, he, he's soft-spoken. He's not that big of a deal. And so they were trying to steal people away. And the Apostle Paul's writing about these guys. And here's what he says. He says in 2 Corinthians 11... And verse 18, since many boast according to the flesh, I will boast also. For you being so wise, a little bit of sarcasm there, you being so wise, he says, you tolerate the foolish gladly. For you tolerate it if anyone enslaves you, if anyone devours you, if anyone takes advantage of you, if anyone exalts himself, and if anyone hits you in the face. To my shame... I must say we've been weak in comparison. Now, I hope that nobody in this room could say, I've been there, brother. I've been smacked around. I've been abused. I've been, I hope that's not you. I hope nobody in a leadership position in the church, wherever churches you've been to in your life, I hope that you haven't experienced this, but I know many people have. It's not God's will to put you in a position where someone treats you differently than Jesus would treat you. You have to know that. Doesn't mean that somebody's not going to tell you something you don't want to hear at some point in your life, right? We know that godly discipline often comes through people. But he says, look, he says, you guys seem to be okay if someone enslaves you. You seem to be okay if somebody devours you. What does it look like for someone to devour you? It means they're using you to get where they need to be. You're not a building block in someone else's ministry. You are a building block in the house of, the, of God himself. You're the building block in his church. Just as valuable as anyone else in the body of Christ. You're not here to launch my ministry. You're not here to launch anyone else's ministry. You are here, we are here together to see the ministry of Jesus Christ carried out. That's why we're here. So we have to be able to recognize, if you, you know, you may not always be here. You might be in different churches. You might go to a different church right now. And leadership should never look like this. should never look like somebody smacking you around, enslaving you, devouring you. But it should look like servanthood. Now let me get this straight. There are people that lead me. There are people I'm accountable to. And do you know what? I bless them. When I see them, I give them an offering. When I see them, you know, T and I, we honor them. And we, we, want, we, 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 we just want them to know how much we love them. And we, we are honored that they've given into our lives. But let me tell you this. They've never asked that. They've never demanded that. They've never said, if you're going to be part of, if, you, if we're going to sow into your life, if I'm going to speak into your life, you have to send me this much money a month. They've never said anything like that. They, they blessed us when we had nothing to give. Now, sure, we do give to him. You know, the scripture says, the one that teaches you is worthy of a double honor. And right there, he's talking about something that you're giving. In that context, in that cultural context, he's not just talking about an attitude, he's talking about giving. So we've got those people, we give them honor, but they never demand it, and it's never a prerequisite. You can't go through life doing that. This is the, this is the trick. The trick is, you gotta learn how to show honor, but never demand honor. Because we're honorable people. 
So I've got to learn how to give honor to whom honor is due. I honor, I've got to learn how to honor those above and beneath. And yet at the same time, you can't go through your life demanding that people honor you. That's not what Jesus did. So he says, you tolerate it if anyone enslaves you, anyone devours you, anyone takes advantage of you, anyone exalts himself, anyone hits you in the face. We must have seemed weak in comparison. You ever wonder why someone would tolerate that? People tolerate that because they figure that's the way it's supposed to be because that's the way it is in the world. In the world, the ones that have the power use it to put others down. So people come into the church and expect that's the way it should be. That's never the way it should be. I want to let you know you are a child of God and he loved you enough to put you into a family and families, families love. Families don't abuse. Families love. There is abuse in families, but it should never be in the family of God. Why is it important that we talk about this tonight? You might ask, we all know this. Well, first and foremost, it's, what, it's, it's the part of the letter we're in, in First Peter. But secondly, I think it's important that believers know this. I think it's important that you know the kind of leadership you deserve. You deserve to be led by someone who's following the leadership of Jesus Christ. And there are going to be moments in your life where you're leading somebody and you need to follow that example. Don't follow the example of the world. Ministry is about serving. I want to read you something in Ezekiel. Ezekiel 34, verse 1. Then the word of the Lord came to me saying, Son of man, Prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to those shepherds. Now, who is he talking to? Is he talking to actual shepherds that are taking care of like animals, sheep? No, he's talking to leaders. Not just spiritual leaders, but, but political leaders as well. Because in Israel, they were often one and the same. But he says this, or, or they, they work together at least. He says, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to those shepherds. Thus says the Lord, whoa. In other words, Judgment days here, guys. Woe, shepherds of Israel who have been feeding themselves. Should not the shepherds feed the flock? Yeah. He says this, you eat the fat and you clothe yourselves with the wool. You slaughter the fat sheep without feeding the flock. Those who are sickly, you've not strengthened. The disease you've not healed. The broken you've not bound up. The scattered you've not brought back, nor have you sought for the lost, but with force and with severity you have dominated them. Now this was written thousands of years ago, and yet I guarantee some people right today will read that and go, whoa, I've lived that. May I ask you something? If you've been through this, would you let the Lord heal your heart so that you can love again and you can trust again? Because that wasn't Jesus doing that to you. So many times we experience things in a church situation. Because you know what? Church is good. It's God's people. But it is people. So people are not perfect. And when you throw a bunch of us together, look around the room. Guys, would we be hanging out if it weren't for Jesus? Really? Look around. Well, we're the furthest thing from homogenous. <laughs> Would all these people been at your birthday party if not for Jesus? No. 
So you put a bunch of different people together that, that, that formerly didn't have anything in common. And then we, we come into the family of God and he is the glue that puts us together. And it's wonderful. But it has hiccups because God didn't put a bunch of perfect people together. He put a bunch of people that are growing and changing and have imperfections. And so we come together and we're stuck in a family. And guys, we didn't have the luxury of being born as a baby and growing up with these people. Sometimes you're a full-grown adult thrown into a brand new family. Sure, you're born again, but you've got your habits. You've got your ways of thinking. You've got your ways of conversation. And then you, 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 you live with these people. We do life together. We eat together. We, we spend time together. We pray together. We come to church together. There are going to be moments where somebody hurts you. You have to know it's not Jesus that's hurting you. And we have to be willing to allow God to heal our hearts so that we don't close up our heart to people because we've been hurt in the past. The hardest thing, and I say this as a pastor, One of the hardest things for me is when God brings people into your path that have been hurt by other leaders. It's very difficult for them to overcome that lack of trust because they've been hurt because you open your heart to people, especially those that are in leadership, you open your heart in a different way. And you don't need to worry about them. They'll answer to Jesus. We'll all answer to Jesus. But you also need to trust that he's the shepherd and the guardian of your soul. He still, he hasn't just left you alone. He's still your shepherd. He's looking out for you. If you've been hurt in the past, you can be healed. Trust the shepherd. Now he says these guys, they've devoured the people that God, the sheep that God gave them. He says the sickly you've not strengthened, the diseased you've not healed, the broken you've not bound up. The scattered you've not brought back, the lost you haven't brought back, nor have you sought for the lost, but with force and severity you've dominated them. If, let's go back to that verse. If that was what God was saying about a bad leader, and this is the opposite of the kind of shepherd he is, then flip it around. Let's look at what a good shepherd looks like. Let's look at what God looks like. Here's the problem. The sickly, they've not strengthened. What does that tell you? What does God desire? To strengthen the sickly, the weak among you are to be strengthened. If he's, if he's upset with them because the disease they've not healed, what's God's desire for you? The disease will be healed. That's not just physically, that's spiritually, that's emotionally. Look at this. He says, the broken you've not bound up. What's God's desire? That the broken would be bound up again. We often talk about it. We're a bunch of broken people brought together. Absolutely. But you're not supposed to stay broken for the rest of your life. What does the scripture say? He heals the brokenhearted. He binds up their wounds. Look at what it says here. He says, the scattered you've not brought back. Now, let me tell you something. We can't force people to come back to church. I can't force people to come back to Jesus. Some people think you've got to chase people to Timbuktu. Some people aren't ready to hear it yet. But it doesn't mean you stop praying for them doesn't mean you close the doors and say, never, you're never coming back here again. You have to have that. You know, the prodigal son's father didn't chase him all around. He didn't follow him city to city. No, he didn't. But you know what? He was looking every day, looking out for when his son would come home. And the moment his son appeared on the horizon, he ran towards his son. That's the attitude we should have. 
You can't chase people around, forcing them to do anything. Some people are going to have to come to their senses. We can pray for them. We can love them. And we can sure love them when they come back as well. You know, the number one lie that I hear over and over again that the enemy uses with people who've fallen or stumbled, I hear it a lot, you know, for instance, in Loon Lake, where you have new believers that have come out of addiction, they fall back into addiction. The one lie that I hear over and over again, and it is so common that I could recite it to them before they say anything, is that if I came back, people would judge me. If I came back, people wouldn't want me there. It's, I've never, in 10 years of pastoring, I've never seen it. And I've been in the church a lot longer than that. I've never seen somebody come in and people turn back and go, oh, oh, they're here. No, there's, there's hugs, there's love, but, but the devil uses the same lie. He's not original. Same lie over and over again. So the lost, you've not, the, the scattered you've not, the, the scattered you've not brought back, nor have you sought for the lost. What's God's will? That we seek the lost just like Jesus did to seek and to save the lost. If we don't have a heart for the lost, we don't have the heart of the shepherd. Then he says this, but with force and severity, you've dominated them. Leadership, godly leadership, does not use force and severity to dominate you. It lays its life down like Jesus did. Jesus showed us what leadership looked like. He washed their feet and then he gave his life. Look, it says the wrong leadership devours you, eats you. What did Jesus say? I'm going to give my life for you. Now you eat my bread, you eat my body, you drink my blood. He gave his body. Instead of saying, I need yours, he gave his. Guys, every single one of us, you might be sitting in your chair going, well, I don't have to ever do that because I'll never be in leadership. You need to know this because God's going to put you in positions where you have to lay your life down. And you do it with joy because you're following the footsteps of Jesus. Ministry whether it's working in nursery, whether it's, it's teaching at the, at, the, at the old folks' home, whether it's here, whether, whatever it's doing, whether you're in somebody's house over a kitchen table encouraging them, it, every type of ministry is laying your life down as Jesus laid his life down for us. And he says in verse 5, they were scattered for lack of a shepherd. They became food for every beast of the field and were scattered. When there's not godly leadership in our life, we scatter and we're devoured by other things. My flock wandered throughout the mountains and on every high hill my flock was scattered over all the surface of the earth and there was no one to search or to seek for them. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. As I live, declares the Lord God, Surely because my flock has become a prey, my flock has become food for the beasts of the field for lack of a shepherd. My shepherds did not search for my flock, but rather the shepherds fed themselves and didn't feed my flock. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord, behold, I'm against the shepherds, and I will demand my sheep from them and make them cease from feeding sheep. So the shepherds will not feed themselves anymore, but I will deliver my flock from their mouth so that they will not be food for them. Here's the good thing. He goes on and says, I'm going to seek for my sheep. I'll find them. Then he says, I'm going to give them good shepherds that will feed them, that will take care of them. God rescued his people from bad leaders and then promised them leaders after his own heart. 
And a leader after his own heart seeks to feed the people God gave him. You know, one of my heroes, one of my mentors in the faith always said this, I'm not here to get something from you. I'm here to get something to you. And that blessed me growing up because I knew that they meant it. I knew that when, they, when, when that person said that, that he meant it with all his heart. And it showed in his actions. Can I just tell you right now, it's not your job to judge every man's heart. I've heard people say, well, they're just in it for the money. You don't know. You don't know why they're in it. People said that about my parents when they were barely making a dime. You know what I mean? They're surviving on moose being left on their doorstep. Buttons and bullets in the, in the offering plate. Oh, they're just in it for the money. Show me where the money is. <laughs> and we'll come get it. There's always when people make those accusations. While I want you to know what a godly leader looks like, and while I want you to stay away from ungodly leaders, at the same time, you can't be judge, jury, and executioner for everybody that you just think's in it for the wrong reasons. Let God judge the heart. Don't allow yourself to be devoured. Don't allow yourself to be smacked around. Don't allow yourself to go to a place where not, nobody's interested in feeding the sheep. At the same time, guys, let's be what Jesus set the example for us to be. He says, if you can't do this, if you can't let me wash your feet and you can't do it for one another, you can't be part of my kingdom. You want to be great in my kingdom? Learn how to wash some feet. Learn how to lay your life down. Learn how to serve. This is what God's looking for. And I believe that this is the kind of leadership that not only do the people of God deserve, but this is the kind of leaders you want to be in your life. You want to have them in your life, and that's the leaders you want to be. Don't ever settle for something less than Christ-like leadership. And don't ever let yourself get in the position where you say, God's given me a ministry, so I'm finally where I should be. Ministry is not about putting you in a position. Ministry is about serving the people God puts you in front of. And whether that's two people in a barn or 50,000 in a stadium, it's the same reward as long as you're being obedient. Do you know that? Do you know that the guy that's ministering to thousands in Africa, thank God for him, but if you do what God called you to do with all your heart and you do exactly what he tells you to do, you get the same reward. In fact, you may get a bigger reward. God doesn't judge by the same standard, does he? Jesus said, you know, those Pharisees were walking around, those religious leaders were walking around, everybody called them father. Everybody gave them discounts. Everybody picked up their stuff for them. He said, you guys get applause. You pray in public so everybody sees it. You give and make sure everybody knows what you gave. When you fast, you put, you put ashes on your head. You walk around with sad faces so everyone knows you're fasting. He said, guys, you have your reward already. Do you know? Because he, he knows what they're after. They're after people. They're after people's approval, saying, oh, how holy you are. He says, you already have your reward. But if you want a reward in heaven, you do it for somebody who sees what's done in secret. Does that mean if I'm fasting, nobody should ever know I'm fasting? No, obviously somebody's going to know you're fasting. But why are you fasting? And are you making a point to publicize your fasting? When I'm praying, does that mean I can't pray in public? Jesus prayed in public. You can pray in public. But is your goal when you're praying in public that everybody sees how holy you are? 
Because if that's the case, wrong reason. Let's follow in the footsteps of Jesus. And I want you to see it again. If we can see what a bad shepherd looks like, then we can see the heart of the good shepherd. The heart of the good shepherd is that the hungry are fed, the naked are clothed, those that are sickly are strengthened, the diseased are healed, the broken are bound up, the scattered are brought home, the lost are sought after. These are the people God's looking for. And in your life, there's going to be leaders in your life. They should match that. And in your life, you may find yourself in leadership. You may find yourself in ministry. Look to the example of Scripture. Look to the example of Jesus. Because ultimately, that's what it comes back to. If I can say, would Jesus do this? He's the ultimate shepherd. And in the end, we're going to answer to him. Let's, let's let it be with joy, amen? Let's let it be a good meeting. Let's let it be a good reunion. I know it will be because he covered my sin with his blood, but I want my day of accounting to be a good day where, I can say, where he can say to me, well done, good and faithful servant. That's what I want. So ultimately, you live your life for that. If your goal is to have a bunch of people clap for you, you'll live differently. But if your goal is that Jesus approves at the end of the day, you'll live in a certain way that'll be most pleasing to him. Stand with me, we're gonna pray.